The Truth News Network. Lies, fake news, and spin. The Deception Dance. You need a fresh vaccine of the truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And the doctor is in. Here's Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. It's another day. Not much happening in your world today. I guess we'll just have to sit here and tell jokes for two hours. What are, we, what are you talking about, Dan? Yeah, there's a lot happening. I mean, it's crazy in this world, getting crazier every day. And in case you didn't know it, folks, the world is now at war. Well, it's really not us. We're not shooting any guns. We're not running from anybody here in North America, the United States of America. Well, it's happening on the opposite side of the globe. But it is, and it does impact the United States of America. We're involved in this, whether we think we are or don't think we are, we are involved in this. So let me just give you the lay of the land. In fact, let's do this. Let's go to ABC News. This report came out just a little bit ago, and it kind of summarizes what happened overnight, where you and I were sleeping tightly, and Joe Biden got his sippy cup of hot, warm milk before he went to bed. Here's what's going on in Ukraine today. Overnight, in the capital of Ukraine, the sound of missile strikes and air sirens. Explosions rocking several cities, including the capital of Kyiv, targeting military installations, including air bases housing fighter jets. The initial strikes that we think we're hearing right now, right out of the Russian playbook, would be cruise missiles to take out things like surface-to-air missile systems, air defense uh, systems that the Ukrainians would have. That would clear the path for waves of bombers and attack aircraft to continue to hit Things like uh, power plants, command and control, uh, internet command centers. Russian President Vladimir Putin warning that any foreign attempt to interfere with Russian action will lead to, quote, consequences they have never seen. Talking about the denazification and demilitarization uh, of Ukraine. I mean, judging by those words, this appears to be the worst case scenario, potentially. We have to wait and see not just forces moving into the east, these rebel-held areas, but potentially moving on other parts of the country. This seems to be a much larger ambition. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky issuing a video statement overnight, declaring martial law, urging Ukrainians to stay home and not panic, adding, quote, we are strong. Earlier, at the exact moment Putin announced the Russian military operation was underway, the UN Security Council was gathering for an emergency session. Their pleas for peace coming after the first explosions were heard. I have only one thing to say from the bottom of my heart. President Putin, stop your troops from attacking the Ukraine. Give peace a chance. Too many people have already died. Then, at the end of the session, a stunning moment when the Ukrainian ambassador directly addressed his Russian counterpart. There is no purgatory for war criminals. They go straight to hell, Ambassador. The escalation appeared to begin earlier Wednesday when cyber attacks targeted Ukrainian government websites and banks. Civilian flights were restricted and one senior Pentagon official told ABC's Martha Raditz, quote, you are likely in the last few hours of peace on the European continent for a long time to come. Be careful. 
a very sobering message, but captures exactly what we are facing here in Ukraine on the European continent, the most dangerous time, as they've said over and over at the Pentagon, since World War II. And President Biden will address the nation later on today, announcing what he says will be severe sanctions to punish Russia. They could involve cutting off Russia from all Western financial institutions. I got to be honest with you. Sanctions, and you're going to hear more about that from experts other than me. Sanctions take too long to implement. They don't take effect very quickly. And so what we're going to do the first half of this show today is we're going to make sure you have some facts, some information. Because, folks, there'll be blather and all kinds of crazy hypotheses that they say, oh, here are the facts. You're going to hear it splattered all across the media airwaves for the next week or two about the real stuff going on in Ukraine. So we want to get out in front of this, and we want to give you the facts. So where, oh, where is Vladimir Putin in the middle of this? Well, he declared war on Ukraine. He actually did in a surprise television announcement at roughly 6 a.m. Moscow time today, 10 p.m. Eastern, last night. The Russian dictator described the unprovoked attack as what he calls a special military operation for the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. I don't know where he got that term from denazification of Ukraine. Here's what he said, and I'm not speaking Russian. This is the interpretation. I've made the decision to conduct a special military operation. Our analysis has concluded that our confrontation with these forces in Ukraine was inevitable. This is the red line that I have spoken of many times. They have crossed it, he said, accusing the Ukrainians of genocide for attacking the two new independent republics he unilaterally conjured up into existence somehow on Monday of this week. Russia cannot feel safe, he said, develop and exist with a constant threat emanating from the territory of modern Ukraine. He bizarrely claimed Russia's plans do not include occupation of Ukrainian territory and we are not going to impose anything on anyone by force. He said all this. At the same time, Russia launched missile attacks at targets across Ukraine, including the jewel of the nation that Vladimir Putin lusts for and has for a long time, the capital city, Kiev. A couple of words for those who would be tempted to intervene. Russia, he said, will respond immediately and you will have consequences that you never had before in your history, he warned. As for the military sphere, modern Russia, even after the collapse of the USSR and the loss of a significant part of its nuclear potential, is today one of the most powerful nuclear powers. And and this is him talking. And moreover, it has certain advantages in a number of the latest types of weapons. In this regard, no one should have any doubt that a direct attack on Russia will lead to defeat and dire consequences for any potential aggressor, he said. Making it clear, he is threatening nuclear retaliation against who? The U.S. and NATO. If the U.S. and or NATO interfere 
with his attack on Ukraine. All responsibility for bloodshed will be on the conscience of the ruling regime in Ukraine. He insisted, calling on Ukrainian forces to just lay down their weapons and surrender. I urge you to immediately lay down your weapons and go home. All servicemen of the Ukrainian army who fulfill this demand will be able to freely leave the combat zone and return to their families, he said. Different observers noted that Putin delivered these remarks while he was wearing what appeared to be the same suit and the same tie that he wore on Monday night when he delivered a long, delirious tirade against even the legitimacy of Ukraine as an independent nation. There's some evidence that the Putin announcement televised Wednesday night was actually recorded in advance. So there you have it, folks. That's kind of putting it in a nutshell very quickly. We're at war. Well, not us, but technically we are because that is already impacting you and me. So let me tell you what I did this morning about... uh, I guess 5.35. was going to a prayer meeting that I go to Monday through Fridays at 6 a.m. And I heard when I uh, jumped in my car, fired it up, and I was listening to a newscast. And, of course, they were talking about what's going on in Ukraine and what the foreign markets, financial markets overnight, had already begun to do. They're tanking everywhere, folks. It's hitting all of us. And you say, I don't have any money in the stock market. Oh, yes, you do. You have retirement of some kind. You have a simple IRA or a 401k that uh, you got some kind of matching program of profits going on with your employer. All of that is invested in the stock market. So you've already taken a hit. But let me tell you where you're really going to take a hit. And it started right now today. I pulled into a service station. I I wasn't out of gas, but I thought I'm going to go ahead and fill up my tank this morning to get ahead of this. $3.35 a gallon when yesterday it was $3.23 at this same place. Why is that? It's because, folks, guess what Uncle Joe has us doing. When he took office, the United States hadn't bought an ounce of oil from Russia in decades. You understand that? Decades. The first month, Joe Biden was president of the United States. We bought 7 million barrels of oil from Vladimir Putin. The next month, 8 million. The next month, 9 million. Yesterday and every day, seven days a week, the United States right now is buying 600,000 barrels of oil from Russia. Your gas prices are going through the roof. And I'm not talking about a big city. I don't live in Los Angeles or New York. I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I guarantee you, before this really gets even kicked off good, in the next few weeks, we'll be paying $4 a gallon for gas in Louisiana. Don't even talk about the grocery store. Don't even talk about supply chain and all that kind of stuff. I was going to launch into a tirade, but I'm not. I'm going to wait a bit for this. So this morning, just a little bit ago, Maria Bartiromo had an expert on her show on Fox Business very early this morning. And I think uh, it's always good to 
defer to experts that can give us a landscape look from an educated perspective, like General Kellogg. He worked in the White House. He knows military. He knows the U.S. military. And oh, by the way, he knows Vladimir Putin. General Kellogg this morning really weighed into the meat of this, of the whys and the what's. Here's General Kellogg. Yeah, Maria, well, look, you made a, you turned a phrase a little bit ago. We're in the fog of war, and we really are right now. We're really not too sure what is happening uh, because it has to kind of sort itself out. Is how deep is Putin going to go? Is he going to cross the Dnieper River? Is he going to go into the western part of Ukraine? Is he going to stay in the eastern part of Ukraine? Is he going to take Odessa in the south? Where is he going to go to? And I think that will sort itself out uh, over the next few hours. And, and, and be very careful about making, a, not you, but anybody, making a pronouncement early because it tends to change in warfare. The first report is generally always wrong. But we know what he wants to do. He wants to decapitate the government of, of Ukraine. He wants to take Zelensky out. He wants to put somebody that is like him uh, in in control of Ukraine. And then he probably wants to control as much of it as he can. But, you know, to remind everybody, when you take away uh, European Russia, Ukraine is the largest country in Europe. And it's massive in size, and it takes an enormous amount of troops to secure that. And I don't think he can do that. So he's going to have to make some decisions on where he wants to go and what he wants to do. But is it an invasion? Absolutely. And this whole thing about going to the past, about Nazis and Nazification and anything like that is just foolish. He's, he's made a very hard power play, and we should respond accordingly. This is a global issue. It's not a European issue anymore. And the reason I say that is President Xi of China is watching this. This. The supreme leader in Iran is watching this. Kim Jong-un is watching this. Everybody's going to watch President Biden and how he reacts to this as the leader of the free world. And let's see where it goes from there. Well, we've seen already where it's gone, as some have perceived weakness in the White House. I mean, all of a sudden, mm -hmm. we learned this morning that the U.S. is going to be ending the China initiative. Uh, again, rolling over for the CCP, that China initiative was able to target those individuals who were sending information back to the CCP and stealing intellectual property. And now this administration says it's shutting down this Trump era uh, China initiative. What yeah. do you want to hear from President Biden? Yeah. He's scheduled to address the American people this afternoon. We have not seen any sanctions of real merit to stop Vladimir Putin. Any any consequences that he can raise that include more sanctions? And what about the China element? Yeah, Maria, it's a great question. Now, he's going to have to go out of character. What I mean by that, he's going to be after very decisive. He's now a wartime leader. He needs to understand that. And and because it's impacting everybody. Everybody's kind of looking to President Biden and said, okay, where are you going to go? Because they will all cue off him. What's the, What are the Europeans going to do? What are the people in the Middle East going to do? What are the uh, people in, in Asia going to do as well? So he's going to have to be very firm. And, and look, I've been a big believer all along being four years in the White House. Sanctions take a long time to bite. Sanctions really don't work. There's a whole body of work that questioned the use of sanctions. When you use sanctions, you have to understand it's also an act of war. And, and so how are you going to continue to use sanctions in a very heavy manner? And he should basically look at Europeans and say, look, the only way you're going to affect Russia is you need to take yourself, wean yourself off 
all of the the energy that you're getting from from Russia. Right, right now, Germany gets 60 percent of its energy from Russia. Europe gets about 30 percent. You just need to shut it down because that's the only thing he understands. Right yeah. now, Russia is the third largest exporter uh, of of energy uh, in the world. Heck, we take in 600,000 barrels a day from from uh, Russia. Yes. that's insane. And we should just shut that down. Hit him where it hurts. That's his energy well, that, area. That, that is exactly right. And I understand that we have been increasing our imports from Russia in yeah. the last year. I mean, what about the U.S. turning to its own policy decisions and reversing them? How about Joe Biden comes out this afternoon yeah. and says, I am reversing yeah. the ban on drilling on federal lands. I am reversing what I said on, on day one yeah. when I walked into office yeah. and killed the XL pipeline. Do something to make the world believe that the U.S. is on the march to energy independence once again. Instead, we've got these sanctions on two Kremlin-backed banks, Russian elites, the company behind the Nord Stream 2 yeah. pipeline, uh, the U.S. also increasing restrictions on Moscow's sovereign debt. Is this enough, General? I mean, we know that the global markets are wide open to yeah. Russia. Look at all of these companies that are trading in, in, in indexes and indices that U.S. investors are unwittingly uh, funding the expansion of Russia's military with this. Yeah, you know, Maria, you kind of hit it uh, pretty clearly. He's going to have to change form. He's going to have to go back and reverse a lot of the things he said, uh, especially in the energy sector. You know, you, he's got to open up. If today he said, I'm going to reopen the Keystone XL pipeline, that's a huge statement he needs to make. You know, we need to go back to energy independence. We're not there anymore. He caused that, and he needs to understand that. So he needs to change his policies. But if he plays true to form, he won't do that. I am hoping that somebody walks into the Oval Office and tells him and reminds him who he is, and that's the, the leader of the free world. He's president of the United States, and he needs to act very decisively. Because right now, what he put out, and even Bloomberg made that comment yesterday, th these sanctions hit with a dud. You have to be very firm, very strong, and Putin's going to watch that. And he needs to push back on Putin. Putin's used some very, very explosive language, and we should respond to that language. He implied, Putin implied, that if you interfere with what I'm doing, if you read between the lines, he says the nuclear capacity is there. We need to remind him that he's not facing one nuclear power in the West. He's facing three. He's facing the British, and he's facing the French, and he's facing the United States. So if you want to play this game, yeah. it's game on. I don't know if he can do that. Do you think, and we asked Congressman Mike Johnson this when he was with us yesterday, I asked him point blank, would any of this be happening now if Donald Trump was president of the United States? And Mike kind of chuckled. He said, heck no, none of this would be happening because Donald Trump, in business, he learned years ago, he learned how to w operate and coexist in the really contentious commercial real estate industry in the most evil and toughest places to do work and do business, New York City. And he learned how to analyze those that he goes into a conflict with, a necessary conflict in business. Somebody's got to come out on top. And if you're a business guy, every time you want to come out on top, how do you get there? Well, you make sure you know who your conflict is with and you know what their objectives are. That was just automatic for Donald Trump when he took 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as his official zip code. He moved in there and he analyzed all of the potential 
negative players in his life as president of the United States, and he did it very quickly. Who were those people? Xi Jinping in China, Vladimir Putin in Russia, and Kim Jong-un in North Korea. And guess what? The United States nor any other place on the planet during Donald Trump's four years dealt with any of the three of those tyrants. Why is that? Do you think Donald Trump bought them off? No. They realized we had a real leader, at least for four years in the White House. They had watched the previous eight years of presidency and vice presidency of Barack Obama and Joe Biden, where Barack Obama actually bowed to a Saudi king on national television. He did that famous apology tour after he was inaugurated president. He went around the world asking all these world leaders to forgive the United States for being such a power. They had no respect for Barack Obama. But when Donald Trump became president, they saw somebody who not only would talk a good game, knew it, and they looked at his past life and saw this guy really knows how to operate and function and to interact with people of every ilk, every level, socioeconomic and political. And they listened to what he said and they believed what he said, not because he said it, but because they saw it play out in the real world, not politics, but in the real world. Donald Trump's gone. Joe Biden's president. And let me just say this. Joe Biden went to bed last night. He went to bed last night. Do you think somebody woke him up and told him that Vladimir Putin was going into Kiev, Ukraine, that already Ukrainian soldiers have been slaughtered in war? No. If Donald Trump had still been in office, I can tell you what would have happened. He'd have been in the Situation Room all night long. He would have had his military leaders and his foreign policy leaders like Mike Pompeo. They would have been around the table talking about specific things that not only we might should do, but exactly what the United States was going to do. And they'd have been on the phone with the foreign leaders in Europe, in Asia, pulling together a consensus of free nations that will not let this tyrant, this dictator, this authoritarian, you know that that name they all, everybody on the left loves to call Donald Trump an authoritarian. No, the only authoritarian in the United States of America is living in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue today, and that's Joe Biden. The people of the United States have nothing going on in their favor. No representation in the U.S. Congress, certainly not in the White House. It's a free-for-all. And that should scare every one of us to death. Think about those poor people over in Ukraine. I watched 35, 40 minutes ago, I watched not Kiev, but another big city in Ukraine, And they showed people this morning, they're out walking the streets. It's cold over there. It looked like maybe in Manhattan, pictures of people in big heavy coats just walking down the streets. The streets look just like big city streets in the United States 
went only miles away. God only knows how far away it is from where this picture was being taken. Ukraine's a big country, very vast. But those people right now going through every one of their minds is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Life was pretty good in Ukraine for most Ukrainian people for a long time. It was because they were free. And as of right now, the number one despot on the planet, he wants to enslave every one of them. His purpose, he wants to reassemble the old USSR, the Soviet Union, all the boundaries then that were in place, which include Ukraine, by the way, also Poland, also Romania. How do you think those countries are feeling right now? The people that live there. And Joe Biden has the unmitigated gall to tell us yesterday, I'm going to speak to the nation tomorrow around noon. He should have been on television all night long telling the American people and our allies over in Europe, the people that always look to us. They don't look to NATO. We are NATO. We're the backbone. We always have been of NATO. And of course, we write the big checks. But what we don't have today in the United States of America is a leader. We don't. Now, somebody asked me this morning, what does Ukraine hold that Vladimir Putin wants? There's nothing there. It's just a vast wasteland. Listen to this, folks. If you say that, why does Ukraine matter? Let me tell you why it matters. Ukraine is first in Europe in proven recoverable reserves of uranium, second place in Europe, tenth in the world in terms of titanium ore reserves, second place in the world in terms of explored reserves of manganese ores, second largest iron ore reserves in the world, second place in Europe in terms of mercury ore reserves, third place in Europe, thirteenth in the world in shale natural gas reserves, fourth in the world in the total value of natural resources, seventh place in the world in coal reserves. Ukraine is an agricultural country. We talked about this several days ago. I told you that was one of the big things that my friend that lives over in the Middle East now, the billionaire, told me that's the big reason why Putin has his eyes on Ukraine, their agriculture. They are first in Europe in terms of area farming land, third place in the world by the area of black soil, first in the world in exports of sunflower and sunflower oil, second in the world in barley production, fourth in barley exports, third largest producer, fourth largest exporter of corn in the world, fourth largest producer of potatoes in the world, fifth largest rye producer in the world, fifth place in the world in bee, yeah, buzz, buzz, honey, bee production, eighth place in the world in wheat exports, ninth in the world in the production of chicken eggs, 16th in the world in cheese exports. Ukraine can meet the food needs right now today of 600 million people. And Ukraine is an industrialized country. They are first in Europe in ammonia production, second 
Europe's and fourth largest natural gas pipeline system in the world. Third largest in Europe and eighth in the world in terms of installed capacity of nuclear power plants. Third in Europe, 11th in the world in terms of rail network length. Third in the world after the U.S. and France in production of locators and locating equipment. Third largest iron exporter in the world. Fourth largest exporter of turbines for nuclear power plants in the world. Fourth largest in the world of manufacturing of rocket launchers. Fourth in the world in clay exports. Fourth in the world in titanium exports. Eighth in the world in exports of ores and concentrates. Ninth in the world in exports of defense industry products. Tenth largest steel producer in the world. 32 and a half million tons of steel every year. Now, do you even question why Putin wants Ukraine? But I guess the biggest thing, the biggest reason for him, he's got a couple of them. He's got a laundry list. I, I got to be honest with you. It's not just these things he's going after, physical things that you can put your hands on. He's a little guy, small in stature. You remember the story of Napoleon Bonaparte, Francis, uh, he wasn't an elected, he wasn't a president, I guess he was a king, whatever they called him back then. But he was a real little guy. And he was very, very self-conscious about it. And so he always tried to make himself look bigger than life to other people around him. And that caused some a whole lot of people to die because he just had to show everybody how big a guy he really was. Vladimir Putin struggles with that. He has a small man syndrome. So he's got to find himself looking to people around him like he's really bigger than he actually is. That's the only, I mean, you, you can point to those pictures that he had distributed around the world, him shirtless on the back of a horse riding around like, I'm a tough guy. I'm a big guy. I watched a short video this morning where he was sitting at a Steinway grand piano and he was trying to show somebody he knew how to play the piano. I'm a piano player, folks. He couldn't play squat. But whoever he was showing off for, he was trying to make them believe that he was a good pianist. A guy like that is very, very self-conscious and very insecure. How does someone overcome that? Well, there are a couple of different ways to do it. He chose the bad way which is to try to put everybody else down and make everybody think you're the biggest, baddest buddy in town. And that's exactly what he's doing now. He wants to strut down the streets of Kiev. He has looked at Kiev as his shining light to show to the West, to show to Europe that he's not a tyrant, but he's a great leader. And he's not a great leader. But that's what he wants to portray. Now just think about if you woke up tomorrow morning and somewhere, maybe not in your state, you know, I live in Louisiana, so maybe up in, you know, North Dakota or even Washington State or Oregon or way up in Maine, there's a bunch of horrible things happening. People are at war. People are fighting each other. There are shootings going on and people are dying and cops can't get control 
And we think about that and, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's far away. It's, it, it, that's not going to impact me. But what if the next day that all that chaos and that criminality and all the fighting and shootings and killings and stuff, in my case, was in western Tennessee tomorrow morning. And then the next morning, it's in southwest Arkansas, which is 40 miles from where I am. That's how those people in Ukraine are feeling right now, but not just the Ukrainian people, the people in Poland, the people in Austria, the people in Switzerland. There's a tyrant on the loose. And folks, he has the power to really, really make it bad for a whole lot of people on this planet very quickly. And he, he makes no bones about it. He is perfectly willing to do whatever it is to achieve his goals and objectives. And also to stand toe-to-toe with anybody that dares disagree with him and try to stop him. He's one of those guys that even if he wasn't the biggest, baddest dude in town, if somebody stood up and tried to take him on, he would die proving that he's bitter, bigger, better, and stronger than the person that stood up to him. He's a bully. And so what we have right now is we have a bully that is armed with all kinds of nukes and military might and somebody that is willing to put tens of millions of his own citizens in harm's way just to take something that he wants. Not that's good for him and his country, but something that he wants is driving what's going on. And people are dying right now today. Lives are being changed permanently. Borderlines are erased already. And people across Eastern Europe, Northern Europe, are scared to death today. And you know why? I'm going to blow I'm going to blow somebody's mind when I say this. Because Donald Trump didn't win re-election and Joe Biden is president and we do not have a commander-in-chief who understands anything about foreign policy. He proved that by allowing this to happen. He proved that by putting the United States of America at the behest of a tyrant who is controlling our energy sources because Joe Biden gave him control. On his first day in the Oval Office, he started the domino chain. He started it by canceling the XL pipeline. And there's nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we can do about it. I think my microphone is cutting out. Let's go to a break. Let me check that. We'll be right back at TNN Live. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up.
DesMoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month, the one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's taco and burrito cravings pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Let me just give you an explanation, an example of how feckless is our president. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuliba said President Biden promised him, face-to-face, and Ukraine, more weapons from the U.S. for its bid to fight off a Russian invasion. Now, this was earlier in the week. Brett Baer asked him if his meetings with Biden resulted in a promise of more U.S. weapons shipments to Ukraine. And Kuliba said, yes. But then he noted that those guarantees should be moved on quickly given the uncertainties around Russia's intentions. The problem is what we don't have is a clear understanding of Putin's timeline, how he planned his further actions, neither here in Washington nor nor back in Kiev, Kaliba said. So the only solution that we have under these circumstances is to act as swiftly as we can. And he made it very clear, and this was probably for Vladimir Putin more so than for Brett Baer of, of uh, Fox News. The only weapons Ukraine want from the United States are defensive weapons, noting that Ukraine has never asked the United States to send troops to Ukraine. So we didn't send them anything. They've been asking and asking and asking. Back in 2014, when Crimea was about to be invaded by Russia, the leaders in Crimea, they reached out to the White House. Who was in the White House in 2014? Barack Obama and Joe Biden. They needed specifically Stinger missiles, those rockets that are perfect for taking out Russian tanks. That's what they needed. That's all they asked for. You know what Joe sent them? Blankets. That was the foreign military aid our United States military sent to Ukraine to protect Crimea back in 2014. Kind of, this thing is doing it again. I'm sorry, folks. I don't know what in the heck is going on with this microphone. But it's cutting in and out. Are you hearing me better? Can you hear me at all? 
and my headphones just all of a sudden it goes up and down, up and down. Now, now there it comes back a little bit. I'm not sure if it's the system or if it's the microphone. It's a brand new microphone. We'll just keep trucking along. Now, let me let me just say this. Donald Trump, he explains all this. And he got in trouble for doing it. Let me let me just paint this picture for you. He proved once again that his critics are going to continue to misconstrue what he says. And they do it all the time. They've done it all the time, trying to just attack him. He came under fire after his criticism of Russia and, of course, our president's response to the events unfolding in the region, getting the left worked up when he sarcastically referred to Vladimir Putin's aggressive moves against Ukraine as smart and genius. And that was during an interview on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show day before yesterday. He said, I went in yesterday. There was a television screen. And I said, this is genius. Putin declares a big portion of the Ukraine. Putin declares it is independent. That's wonderful, Trump said in a reaction to the irony. So Putin is now saying it's independent, a large section of Ukraine. And Trump said, I said, how smart is that? And he's going to go in and be a peacekeeper. That's the strongest peace force ever. We could use that on our southern border today. That's the strongest peace force I've ever seen. So, of course, what happened when he said that? Left media and a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. on the left, they took it out of context. They took little snippets of what he said, and they used it to make headlines, which missed the point that he was making. And in the headlines, they accused Trump of lavishing praise on the Russian leader. That's what they've always tried to do. Many reports on the interview left out the full context in the former president's take on the very sad developments. Trump said, you got to say this is pretty savvy. And you know what the response was from Biden? There was no response. They didn't have one for that. It's very, very sad, President Trump said. He addressed the reactions during what was a fundraiser that he held at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Palm Beach. Trump said Putin is smart. I mean, he's taking over a country for $2 worth of sanctions. I'd say that's pretty smart. He's taking over a country, really a vast, vast location, a great piece of land with a whole lot of people, and just walking right in. This would have never happened. It shouldn't have. Even in a million years would have never happened. And I know him very well. Of course, the New York Times went postal. Their reporter Shane Goldmacher also tweeted comments Trump had made about the Russia-Ukraine crisis during that fundraiser. Now they laugh at us, Trump said, in a reference to America's adversaries. That's why you have Ukraine, he added. That's why you're going to have China. Taiwan is next. And you're going to see the same kind of thing happen. So Eric Swalwell that brain surgeon that joins Adam Schiff from Southern California in the U.S. Congress. Eric Swalwell tried some selective editing to make Trump look bad, but he got busted. Some internet sleuths quickly corrected the record. The unrepentant Russia hoaxer, that would be Swalwell, 
shared an incomplete transcript of Trump's interview on the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show to claim that Donald Trump endorses Putin's invasion of a democratic country. This is the leader of the Republican Party, Swalwell said. Well, the content that Swalwell, don't forget, is a failed 2020 presidential candidate whose campaign for the White House lasted about 90 days. He tweeted that out, ended with Trump describing Vladimir Putin as a very savvy guy who he knows really well. Several conservative influencers pointed out that, wait, there's more. To borrow a recurring phrase from infomercials, Swalwell's rendition was described as a blatant lie. Swalwell cut off Trump's full remarks. Isn't it like the left? Isn't it like these little teetsy flies that are Democrats in the United States Congress? They're like chihuahuas. I love dogs. We have three dogs, and we love our dogs. And we've got a couple of little dogs. But our little dogs aren't yippers. The yippers are the chihuahuas. You know, they just yip, 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 yip. And they're always running after you and nipping at your feet and all that kind of stuff. That's Swalwell and Adam Schiff. They're little yippers. Why would they, when something this big and serious is going on, why would they take that as an opportunity for them to try to denigrate somebody who they can't even carry his jock, never have been able to and couldn't in a million years? I'm talking about Donald Trump. Why is that? Let me, let me just give you a little, uh, a little social skills understanding lesson here. If you keep up with high school football, High school forts of any kind, but really football's the big banana in the South. If you have a team, let's say a high school, that is really good, and year after year after year, they win a lot of football games. They they play because they have good players, which obviously means they have good coaches or whatever. And then in a state, as an example, Louisiana, let's talk about our state. There are two really good perennial football powers in the state, one on the extreme southeast corner of the state. That would be New Orleans, and that would be John Curtis. And another one on the extreme northwest corner of the state, Shreveport, that would be Evangel Christian Academy. There are hundreds of high schools across the state of Louisiana. All of them are not all of them, but most of them have football programs. And they have districts that they draw their students from and therefore get the football players. And so what makes a football team good much better than another football team? Well, you can't just look at it from 10,000 feet and make that conclusion. you got to go down and find out what makes it tick. And so if I was a coach and I really wanted to be a successful coach on the field, I wanted to move up in the profession and maybe go be an assistant coach for a while on, oh, let's just say Alabama. I got to do stuff that's good, good enough for me to get noticed and a chance to take my skills somewhere else. So what am I going to do? I'm going to find out what those two schools are doing really, really well, and I'm going to try to make it fit my circumstances in the town at the school in which I'm coaching. 
And folks, that happens a lot in sports, also in business. But the flip side of it happens more often. Instead of being a coach at a school that's not very good and really objectively reaching out and going to one of these or both of these two schools that have really good year-after-year football programs and learning what they're doing and getting taught and analyzing it and making it fit what you're doing, instead of doing that, it's easier just to start pointing fingers at these two programs and saying, let me tell you how they're winning games. They're cheating. And of course, they don't give any context, any facts that show that there's any cheating going on. But you can stand on the sidelines and you can get some more of your buddies coming over who are too lazy like you are to do what it takes to become a winning operation and scream just as loudly with you and you make more noise than anybody coming in the defense of these two. And all of a sudden, those two teams that have worked their rear ends off, they're very disciplined. They don't cheat. In fact, they've had to go 180 degrees the other way. Let me give you an example. The Louisiana High School Athletic Association is the governing body of football competition in every um, sport in the state. They make all the rules, and that includes who can go to these schools and participate in extracurricular athletic activities. And they keep records in all schools. Even if you're a private school, you have a geographical boundary in which you can draw students to come to your school and therefore be eligible to play athletics. And so they make all the rules. And when somebody is accused of cheating and they want to take it to the nth degree, they have to file claims with the LHSAA against these schools that are quote-unquote cheating. So what did both of these schools do years ago? They, they, they simply just got tired, sick of defending these claims that were made against them, and they go to the LHSAA. The LHSAA comes to the schools and said, here are the claims made against you. They say you're cheating. What about this player? What about this player? On and on and on and on. So both the leaders of both schools years ago, they said, we're going to tackle this up front. So what they do, any athlete that comes to one of those schools and they want to participate in extracurricular activities that are resulting in competition of whatever, they fill out all the documentation And before that student is ever allowed to participate at all, they send the documentation to the LHSAA and have them sign off on the fact that this kid is eligible to participate based on LHSAA rules. You would think that that would solve the problem, but it doesn't. These people are so stupid and are so caught up at being mediocre that they don't even realize their claims are falling on deaf ears because the LHSAA has already investigated all of these claims before they ever became claims. Now, in the context of what we're talking about happening in Ukraine, do you see a a parallel there? When you talk about real leaders in the United States of America and you look at Congress and you look at the White House, 
Do you see the difference between real leadership, what we've had in the past compared to what we have now? The United States Congress is feckless. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are nothing but placeholders. Somebody is calling the shots, yanking their chains, and has them doing absolutely nothing to represent the people of the United States of America. It's all about representing a political narrative that has been put together, structured, edited, revised, refined, and put together over a period of time, and it's headed for one thing and one thing only, taking total control of the lives of all of their minions. And who would their minions be? Would be me and you. And all they do when any real good idea or real good thing happens, like we saw happen for four years under Donald Trump, They would never say Trump did anything or initiated anything right, even when the American people were part of it. And we saw the results of it being right. Those people would never admit it. They would never admit it. It just happened, if they ever would refer to it at all. And so they kept trying to do the same thing those high school coaches have done against John Curtis and Evangel Christian Academy for 20-plus years. The only reason they're being successful is because they're cheating. They're lying. They're stealing. They're taking advantage of it. Oh, no, they're authoritarians. They don't represent anybody. They want to take total control of everything. It's exactly the same. It's like these people in Washington or little high school football coaches from the South, and all they can do when they get their butts beat year after year because they're too lazy to learn how to get better and be better is cry and whine. They're cheating. They're cheating. They're cheating. Let me give you an example. It hasn't happened yet. But you can put a meter on when it's going to happen. But what I'm about to tell you is going to happen, and it may begin as early as this afternoon. Why? Because Joe Biden is supposed to speak to us around noon today. What are you talking about? The Ukraine crisis, folks. It's the Ukraine crisis that is causing inflation in the United States. That's why our gas prices are through the week, the roofs. That's why we can't get the supplies in our grocery stores and in our Walmarts that we need. It's because of what's happening in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin's doing it. They're going to do it. They're going to they're going to do that. And you know who's going to start it? Joe Biden will. He's going to be the excuser in chief. Instead of taking accountability and saying like he did when he was campaigning that he was going to do, it's always going to stop with me. I'm the guy. I'm responsible for it all. I'll take accountability and that means I'm going to get it done and done right. That whole mentality left when he took his inauguration and swore an oath to defend the Constitution and represent us. That went out the door then. Now, as long as anything good happens, hey, 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 I'm thumping my chest. I'm Joe Biden. It stops here. I did it. I did it. But he will never take accountability for one bad thing that has happened, 
or is happening now or that will happen as long as he's president. That's not the definition of a leader. That's not the definition of somebody who has integrity and is honest. That is an example of a feckless, unworthy person who wants all of the accolades that go along with titles but refuses to do the work that you're supposed to do that makes you eligible to be even considered for these higher places of authority. You do a good job here, you're going to get a chance to take that good job you're doing here to someplace a little bigger. That's not how politics in the United States of America works today. It's about who you know. Oh, and it's also about what dirt you have on somebody else that might just keep you from getting to that position that you so desperately want to have. That's what we got. Your daily dose of the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Truth. Justice, the TNN way. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. Should you, if you have any desire to join this conversation, feel free to do so. I'll pay for the call. Toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. Now, let me just give you, and incidentally, my microphone situation I had earlier. I I, I just got a note from Pete out in California and said it sounds fine. Maybe it's just my headphones. I don't know, but then all of a sudden it just cut out, and I wiggled wires and all that kind of stuff when we were in break, and it came back. I I just don't understand it, and I apologize. That's, uh, That's not acceptable here at Truth News Network. We're pros and we don't like anything to not work well. And by the way, if you ever hear anything like that happen, fire me a text or an email and let me know. Sometimes, you know, I can't tell. All that being said, how about let me illustrate what I was just saying about Joe Biden and how he deflects all accountability for anything and everything bad. Yesterday in the White House press briefing, Jen Psaki, who is the apologizer-in-chief for this president and anything and everything bad that happens in his administration. First of all, they will never admit that anything bad happens in his administration. And if anything bad happens in his administration, it's because of the Trump 
administration. Barack Obama taught Joe how to do that perfectly. Oh, man, they inherited a horror show from George W. Bush, Bush 43. Everything bad that happened the first seven and a half years of the Barack Obama, Joe Biden administration was because of George W. Bush. But anything that happened in the four years of the Trump administration that was good, it was because of Barack Obama and Joe Biden. That's the insanity of the left. And it could not be illustrated better than yesterday by Jen Psaki. Thanks, Jen. Following up on Weech's question, a lot of focus on the economic pain in Russia, potentially, from these sanctions. But what about the economic pain here? Uh, The Russians are saying they think gas prices in Europe are going to double. How high could they get here? Well, I think, again, Peter, as I said to Weech, I mean, some of this depends on what President Putin does. So as he's suggesting what the impact will be around the world, it's all based on what his actions are, just to be very clear about it. What the president is focused on and is working on is taking every step we can to uh, to communicate with, coordinate with, engage with uh, big global suppliers around the world to minimize the impact on the energy markets. But even without all this going on, gas in California is almost $5 a gallon. Should people across the country expect to see that kind of a number when they go to gas up their car? Five dollars, six dollars? Well, again, I think as you heard the president say last week, uh, standing up for our values is not without cost. What we're trying to do is minimize that cost. So I don't have a prediction of it right now because we're trying to minimize the impact on the global energy markets. We're standing up for nothing. Our values, what the heck is she referencing when she talks about the values that we're standing up for. What would that be? Uh, Destroy the carbon fuel energy sector that has fueled this country for decades, for generations. And oh, by the way, we're not just going to do it willy-nilly. We're going to do it all in one day, which is what he did. Put hundreds of thousands of people out of work. And he piled mounds of unnecessary cost on every single American by that one little faux pas. That's our values, Miss Saki. But don't be surprised, folks. That's the way he works. I got a phone call coming in here. I don't know if this guy wants to talk, but I'm going to see. Let's see. Good morning. Is this Jason? Hang on just a second, buddy. Are you there? Jason, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, well, you are now live on TNN Live, and we are talking about what you and I were talking about earlier this morning, the Russia right. the Russia thing. So I was just talking moments ago about how feckless in comparison to our president compared to Vladimir Putin and what he's doing, Joe Biden has never is not right now, and we just, before you called in, we played a soundbite from uh, the White House press briefing yesterday where Jen Psaki, White House secretary, was asked by a reporter what the president has to say about what's going on regarding our fuel prices. And, of course, they take no accountability or responsibility for any policy that made gas $5 a gallon this morning in California. When you, we spoke early this morning, 
we were talking about your concerns, the overall kind of the 10,000 foot level of what's happening in Ukraine regarding Soviet, I started to say Soviet Union, but Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, and how far and wide that's going to spread. Have you had any more thoughts about it since we talked? Well, I have. Uh, I've been keeping up with the, what's going on in the world, and now Chinese government has authorized Air Force to fly over Taiwan, and I feel like that's a... They're trying to feel like whether they can, they can attack Taiwan based on the fact that nobody's doing anything to to Russia over about about the attack on Ukraine. Let me ask you this. Uh, you're a business guy. Uh, you have your hands in a lot of things, and you're diverse. Did you, with uh, your everyday hands-on knowledge of running a company and uh, having a family and just living life in general, did you ever think that we were going to have a situation with anybody? I mean, even when Donald Trump was president or Barack Obama before him, but have anybody at the top of the heat would just seem they did not want to make the hard choices or decisions about anything and instead just backed up and just let things happen without any leadership or coordination or planning. Um, I served in the military from 1991 to 1999 under President Clinton, um, and I saw him step back. And uh, in fact, in August, we were off the coast of, um, I believe it was Sudan, and uh, when we attacked Sudan and bombed a aspirin plant. To me, that was the last president that I remember that I wondered, when are you going to stand up and and protect the United States and protect what is right versus wrong? And right now, um, it's a fact that Putin, what he's doing is wrong, and we have not heard from our president, and that, that is very disappointing. I just mentioned a moment ago, um, I was explaining the difference between stepping up, analyzing who you are and what you do, and what your resources are and all that kind of stuff. And when you get in conflict, which you're in business, I'm talking about being a business guy and having competitors and people out there that are trying to get work from you and you're trying to keep that from happening. What good leaders do is they look at the other guys and watch and see what they're doing really well. And then good leaders want to find out what they can do to make their operations run at least as good, if not better than their opponents. We're not seeing that in this administration at all. It just seems like every decision that's being made is a fly by the seat of your pants at the moment, no planning, no preparation. And I mean, look at the southern border. Jason, 600,000 felony acts were committed against Texans alone in a two-year period by illegal immigrants that were allowed to come into the United States with no accountability, breaking laws, and we had people in Washington that are okay with that, not just okay with it, they're encouraging that to happen. A country think, a country can't make that. It can't sustain that. I think the problem is, is we have become a reactionary nation where we wait on to make a response to what's going on instead of being proactive and stopping things on the front side. 
I feel like there was enough information going on that we could predict what was going to happen in Ukraine. The Russian Navy shifted their forces from Murmansk, Russia, and had to sail all the way around to the uh, Baltic Sea and um, correction, Black Sea. And, and so you see the movement of that. You see the takeover of Crimea back in, I believe it was 2014. Yes. Where the occupancy is still there. And so there, there's enough uh, pawns that are being moved that you can kind of speculate what they're going to. And but we we still haven't responded. We we still don't know what we're going to do. Um, and I think even as of this hour, it's been 12 hours since Ukraine struck was being struck by Russia, and um, the president hasn't come forth to the podium and explained, "Hey, we're going to do this," or. This is this is what we're what our sanctions are going to be. There's no plan. It's all reactionary. So the South border being attacked the way it is, or, or not being attacked, but with the, all the felons coming across, it doesn't surprise me because it's all reactionary. Let me let me let me just illustrate what you just said just moments ago. The latest reports: forty Ukrainian private citizens have been killed, including civilians and one young boy. And um, in addition to that, let's see what else. 30 attacks, 30 Air Force attacks, including cruise missiles, MLRS rocket launchers, aircraft and artillery targeting Ukrainian civilian infrastructure. Ukrainian police have reported as many as 203 attacks have been carried out through the day. It's lunchtime. No, it's not. It's dinner time in Ukraine. And we as yet, like you mentioned, we haven't heard a peep out of our president. That's not leadership. Would your business be successful if that's the way you treated things that happened in your business? Well, my business would not stay in business for long if I maintained that. And there, so there you go. I feel like that our nation um, is learning a lot about who our president is and which direction our government has gone and maybe there's going to be some second guessing and changes coming based on the fact the way the way they're reacting as as we as this uh, crisis continues. All the comments I'm getting are about that particular thing. What can we do? I mean, we just had a a midterm election, so we've got one coming up in November. We can maybe make some changes there as voters. But then you have these question marks about the validity of the results of any election that happens. Can we trust that? And then Joe Biden, if he stays around, he's got three more years as president of the United States. Look what the damage was done in just one year, actually less than one year. How much more can we take without just falling apart as a nation? Um, and that's there's nothing we can do to change that in the media. We are reliant now on the NATO and the UN forces. Um, we're reliable on Turkey, hopefully shutting down the Black Sea entrance, preventing cargo and, and uh, naval forces being brought in there. Um, we're reliant on France and Germany freezing bank accounts. It's uh, it's kind of embarrassing as as the nation that should be leading, we're following everybody else, and we don't have a backbone right now. 
And I don't think if we knew exactly what to do that we have a leader that would do it. Well, and, and, and that brings in another question. Why hasn't Biden acted sooner or at all? Is there potentially more information that Putin has against him? Um, you know, you could really make a case that based on the election stuff or whatever, what happened in the last six months that, that Putin's been able to have free reign and we've done nothing that signals that, Hey, why, why aren't we standing up to this guy? What are we so scared of, scared of him? Well, let, let me just point something out. Uh, this was mentioned a couple of years ago, I guess, when the Hunter Biden laptop came out and all that information, the money being transferred from there. When the former mayor of Moscow's wife gave $5 million to Hunter Biden, someone mentioned to me, this happened in Russia. There is no $5 million check that is written or wire transfer that is sent anywhere in Russia without the approval or the knowledge at least of what is involved in a $5 million transfer unless Vladimir Putin knows everything about it. And nothing happens in that country. And pretty much the same thing is true about China. You mentioned China and what they're uh, showing that they are going to take back Taiwan, nothing happens there without Xi Jinping knowing everything about it and making it approval. I don't think um, a $5 million transfer from a former mayor of Moscow's wife to the son of then Vice President Joe Biden of the United States went unknown to Vladimir Putin. How much more of that is there out there that Putin could just have Biden on a string. That's the scariest part of this question to me. What well, kind and of, I just what got kind of an update that I just wanted to, to share too is Chernobyl, the the plant is under attack currently by Russia. Oh my gosh. The nuclear plant. Yeah. So um, it doesn't look like that Russia is going to relent on anything and they're coming full board and until they fully capture Ukraine they are not going to stop Jason man I appreciate you calling it's always good to chat with you be a more frequent visitor here at Teen in Life yes sir you have a good day you too bye bye Jason Shreveport business guy great athlete hockey player soccer player um He's one of those guys that he's got his hand on the pulse of what's going on around just because he's involved in it. He's a husband, a dad, a businessman, and he cares. And he's just one example of us looking around and not being comfortable to believe that we we have answers, real answers to take care of these problems that are happening we have no control over. We're not directly involved in them yet. I hope we're not anyway. And just moments ago, Chinese news media posted instructions to social platforms about how to approach the coverage they're giving the Chinese people about what's going on in Ukraine, including a note of China's need for Russian support with Taiwan. One Chinese outlet appeared to accidentally post guidelines on what should and should not be published 
while an editor from another outlet weighed in with guidance on language and approaches that he believed necessary in walking a fine line. You don't want to get President Xi Jinping on your case, right? Ming Jinhui, senior editor at Xinhua News Agency, wrote in his WeChat blog this morning about how his outlet needed to walk a tight line on its Ukraine coverage, noting that China has to back Russia up with emotional and moral support while refraining from treading on the toes of the United States and the European Union. In the future, China will also need Russia's understanding and support when wrestling with America to solve the Taiwan issue once and for all. Ming said that it doesn't hurt to use moderately pro-Russia language. Somebody got this note. We weren't supposed to see or hear anything about it. But obviously, folks, this whole Ukrainian thing, it's not sitting on an island. It's not only being watched here in the United States and in Russia. It's being watched by everybody. And it's because the biggest bully on the planet, Vladimir Putin, seems to be the guy that's driving the boat. That's just so stinking scary to me. Well, let's just segue away from um, Europe and Southeast Asia for just a little bit. Let's talk about the other authoritarian, the one that lives in our hemisphere, Canada's Justin Trudeau. You know, we, we blasted him the other day for that Emergencies Act, the act that he used to enable him to, without any approval by Parliament, go do anything and everything that he thought necessary to do to take care of the nation that was under attack. And then he actually went to Parliament on Monday and asked them to renew the Emergencies Act, give him power to do it, keep it going, because there's all kinds of bad stuff out there that's about to happen. Well, he got blasted from people around the world, including from this microphone, for doing that. And guess what he did yesterday? He revoked the use of the Emergency Act, saying the situation is no longer an emergency. Go figure. He defended his invoking the act in the first place, and he said this, quote, it was the responsible and necessary thing to do. And there was evidence that individuals wanted to undermine and even harm Canada's democracy. That's the buzz phrase that all of these people, these leftists, are using from around the world when they speak about people that are democratic country leaders, like Donald Trump was, like Joe Biden is. Anybody that goes against them, their thinking, the leftist in this case, I'm talking about Justin Trudeau, I'm talking about Joe Biden, I'm talking about Vladimir Putin, anybody that is a leader and they're a leader of a so-called democratic country, if anybody says anything or takes any actions against them, the fallback lashing out is always, they're anti-democratic. Donald Trump hates democracy. He's an authoritarian. Malcolm Nance, we told you the story yesterday on MSNBC. He's a security intelligence expert. They bring him on, and he just went, I mean, totally, after Donald Trump calling him an authoritarian. And he even said when he was elected, I said then, this man hates democracy. He wants to destroy the democracy, the structure of the United States. He's an authoritarian. 
Folks, you got to make yourself understand and get the real meaning of what authoritarianism is and who the real authoritarians, by their practices, by what they're doing on the globe, really are. Obviously, the number one would be Xi Jinping in China. I mean, he has Chinese people slaughtered, not for anything they did wrong, but just on a whim. They're harvesting organs from Uyghur people in southwest China, have been doing it for years, and they'll just take organs out of these people and lay their bodies over on the side, and they're just dead, and they use, they sell, they market those people's organs. It's worse than that. Genocide is alive and well in China. Now, Xi Jinping likes to be considered to be a democratic leader of a nation. He's not, never has been. He's an authoritarian in Russia, Vladimir Putin. He doesn't have any desire to do what the Russian people want their leader to do. He doesn't give a rip about the Russian people. He does exactly what he wants to do. He's an authoritarian. He's a dictator wannabe. He doesn't have the title, but that's exactly what he is. I've, I've, I've challenged anybody to come on the air here and give me one example of during Trump's four years of any act of authoritarianism that he actually tried or that he did. Anything that he did that was from an authoritarian perspective. I can't think of a single one. And I would be honest and say, Here's an example of him doing that. I can't find one. In fact, his entire operation from his campaign all the way through his leaving the White House, everything that he did was pointed towards making life better for the American people, pushing the power and control downstream where our forefathers, our establishment, the Declaration of Independence, then the United States Constitution are all built around the structure of this being a nation that is governed by the people, its government of the people, and for the people, totally. And I can't come up with a thing, and I've challenged anybody. You want to share one? 866-37-TRUTH, 866-378. 7884. I would like to discuss it. God, we've got so many other things to talk about. Where are we going to go next? Let's see where we can go. Let's talk about oil and gas. Let's talk about $5 a gas, a gallon gas in California today and where it might be headed and where it might be headed where you are living. Let's do that and let's explain why. With facts, novel idea, huh? We got that right after this. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies, available wherever fine candies are sold. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, 
of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Let me tell you something I'm trying right now. I'm using another channel. I switched microphones during the break over to this other channel to see if uh, if I have the same issues. I apologize for it. This stuff doesn't happen here. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through the rest of this show using microphone number two. So I t- told you going to the break. We're gonna talk about a big thing that happened yesterday in the world of gas and oil leases as it pertains to the United States and then, of course, us. The Biden administration is delaying some decisions on new oil and gas drilling on federal land and other energy-related actions. They're delaying it. Why? Because a federal court blocked the way that officials were calculating the real-world cost of Joe Biden's climate change policies. James Posey just said, this mic sounds better. Okay, we may and we may have a bad channel on the board. We'll check it out later. Well, digging into this, the Biden administration said in a filing that a ruling by a Louisiana federal judge is going to impact dozens of rules by at least four federal agencies. Among the immediate effects is an indefinite delay in planned oil and gas lease sales on public lands in a half dozen states in the West. And people, most folks don't understand that a lot of the oil and gas that goes into the coffers of the United States government and taxpayers and that we don't have to pay more at the pumps comes from federal leased lands. And of course, the climate change folks, they've just been dead set against this from the very beginning because those are public lands and we're letting commercial companies come in here and they're spoiling those public grounds and environmentally just destroying them. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, folks, those climate freaks aren't the controllers, the arbiters of environmental policy. The people of the United States own that land. And Joe Biden, novel idea, he represents the people, not the climatologist. The ruling is going to delay plans to restrict methane waste emissions from natural gas drilling on these public lands. 
and a court order plan to develop energy conservation standards for manufactured housing. The ruling is also going to delay a $2.3 billion federal grant program for transit projects. Oh my gosh, that's a Biden biggie. We got to take all these Americans out of these suburbs driving cars and putting out all this methane gas. We want them on mass transit. You know, electricity. I'm serious. That's what this is all about. Department of Interior continues to move forward with reforms to oil and gas programs onshore and offshore and is committed to ensuring its programs account for climate impacts. Now put that in the context of what we know about our our, um, carbon emissions here in the United States. Over the last decade, we have dramatically reduced our carbon footprint and our bad gas emissions more than any other country on the planet. In other words, folks, we're doing a good job. But apparently that's not good enough for the climate freaks. The ones that tell us, oh man, we've got to get this global warming. And that's just one little bit of climate change. They used to call all the climate change stuff global warming. And then we found out 10 years later, well, the temperatures aren't going up. So then they said, we got to change that. We got to get some legitimacy back into what we do environmentally. Let's just call it a, let's just call it a climate change. So 20 years before that, they warned we were going to have a new ice age. We heard it constantly. The drum beats, get ready, get ready. The temperatures are going to drop and nothing's going to grow on the planet. It didn't happen. So they switched to global warming. And that didn't happen. So now they've switched to climate change. So this judge that threw this monkey wrench into this whole thing, his name is James Kane of the Western District of Louisiana. He blocked federal agencies from using an estimate. No facts, no evidence, just an estimate known as the social cost of carbon to assess pollution from carbon emissions by energy production and other industrial sources. An estimate wanted to determine the entirety of this particular process where millions and millions of barrels of oil and I don't know how many bazillion cubic feet of natural gas come from on an estimate. His decision blocked the Biden administration from using a higher estimate for the damage that each additional ton of greenhouse gas pollution causes the nation. Estimates. (laughs) Biden, on his first day in office, restored the climate cost estimate to about 51 bucks per ton of carbon dioxide emissions. And that was after President Trump had reduced the number to $7 or less per ton. Trump's estimate included only damages felt here in the United States, but of course we know we're nasty environmentally around the world. Whatever we do here, it destroys little fish in the South Asian Sea or wherever. Barack Obama, that's where that $51 per ton came from as compared to Trump's $7 or less per ton. And so Trump, I know, orange man, evil, I get that. But he's a business guy. 
And business people tend to make decisions, especially very expensive decisions, based on uh, facts, not evidence. So the damage figure uses economic models to capture impacts from rising sea levels, recurring droughts and other consequences of climate change, and helps shape rules for oil and gas drilling, automobiles, and other industries. Using a higher cost estimate would help justify reductions that they want in planet warming emissions by making the benefits more likely to outweigh the expenses of complying with new rules. So where does all this money go to? You know, we have, somebody has to pay the high cost for all this kind of stuff. And you and I do. We don't even realize it, but probably 30, 40% of what you pay at the pump, it goes into all of these environmental causes that have been estimated to be real numbers of the cost of these emissions. And we just can't, we've got to force people to quit making these emissions. And the big joke was, remember when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was first elected and she put out her Green New Deal or her New Green Deal, whichever way they say it, I can't ever keep up with it. And she actually commented that what we need to do to help stop these carbon emissions is we got to find a way to stop cows from farting so much. I'm not joking. (laughs) That was a real thing. That just explains exactly (laughs) how ludicrous almost all of this climate change stuff is. Do you know what their big overarching projection and planned temperature, average temperature reduction they want to spend trillions and trillions and trillions of taxpayer dollars to accomplish between now and the end of this century? Long after you and I are gone. They hope, they don't know, but they hope we can lower the average temperature on the planet by one-third of one degree. Does that sound smart to you? I can almost see them in a bar watching an NBA game late night. You know, they're on the East Coast watching a California game, and they're all half drunk. And they say, you know, what What can we do to really fool the American people? Let's come up with something so ridiculous and throw it out there and say the science proves and just sell it to them and see how stupid they are and how many of them will buy off on it. And so they did it. Hey, man, let's come up with a plan and tell them if we can we can do all of this stuff and do it for the next, oh, I don't know, 75 years, tell them we can reduce the average temperature of the whole planet by, what, one-third of one degree? Oh, that sounds good. Write it down. Write it down. That's how stupid it sounds. And meanwhile, in real-world life, people are starving to death around the globe. People are being slaughtered. Little boys and girls are being sold as chattel property. And as you heard Congressman Mike Johnson tell us yesterday when he was on the show with us early in the show, he told us that just the fentanyl that we captured last year at the southern border, not counting all of that that got through, 
enough fentanyl that was manufactured in China was sent to the drug cartels in Mexico who then transported it into the United States. There was enough fentanyl to kill every American, man, woman, and child six times. All of that stuff is going on, and they are obsessed with, and they want everybody, no matter the cost, no matter the time, the effort, the resources that are necessary to even try to get this done, it's justified because they want to reduce the average temperature in the world in 75 years. Get it way, way, way down, one-third of one degree. So let me tell you how fragile the energy industry is right now. Energy prices are set to soar across Europe and the UK once again, following the fact that yesterday Germany blocked the approval of Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipeline amid this Ukrainian stuff that's going on. Their natural gas price benchmark in all of Europe which is determined by the price per unit of energy traded in the futures market in the Netherlands. It spiked up 13% just yesterday. Even after it came down slightly on the day by the end of trading, leveling out about 10% higher, the market price is still 14% higher than just five days ago. Five days ago. And the cost of energy, for no apparent reason other than then the fear of the Ukrainian invasion by Russia and what it's going to do to the energy industry. That's all in spite of the fact that Russian gas only accounts for 3% of Britain's gas consumption. While the flow of gas has not changed from Russia into Europe as of yet, the futures traders were likely operating under an assumption that Vladimir Putin would attempt to punish Europe after the decision by the German Chancellor to prevent the controversial Nord Stream 2 pipeline from finding regulatory approval. So let me ask you this. Joe Biden did nothing about this yesterday, by the way. And he hadn't done anything about anything today. I'm not sure what time he's planning to address us all, but I think it's sometime around lunchtime. I mean, that way he will have eaten his tuna fish sandwich and had his sippy cup full of warm milk and... Jill will be ready to put him down for his afternoon nap. I know I'm making fun of it, but folks, it's that ludicrous. It really is. People are dying while our president sits there and had, and certainly still has, but had the ability to assist one of the most important groups of people on the planet. Not sending our people over there to stand by or stand in front of the citizens of Ukraine and go after Vladimir Putin. That was never even asked of us. Their foreign minister yesterday when he was in D.C., he said that point blank. We don't, we haven't asked, we we don't expect a single American to come over and fight our war. But what we need is military weaponry assistance from the United States. And he said, We need it now. We need that help now. Did you hear about that treasure trove of weapons that Joe Biden approved yesterday to go to Ukraine? Nada. Not a darn thing. Don't forget, this is the guy that when he was vice president 
And in 2014, when Vladimir Putin took Crimea, remember when he invaded that part of Ukraine? The president of Ukraine then reached out to Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Help, help. We need some help. What we need specifically are Stinger missiles so that we can defend ourselves against the onslaught of these Russian tanks. We just bowed down and said, whatever you need, we're going to send it. And so Joe Biden took, took, he took total credit for everything good that happened in Ukraine. But he didn't tell the American people what they sent the Ukrainian people to help them fight Vladimir Putin and the Russian army and all those vicious tanks. Sent them blankets, not tents, not water, not food, certainly not guns and certainly not those Stinger missiles they needed to take out those tanks, they sent them blankets. And today, Crimea belongs to Vladimir Putin, which is pretty much what the rest of Ukraine is going to belong to. How long do you think this is going to take? 30 days? I don't think it will take that long. And we certainly are not going to help out Right now today, Germany gets about half of its national uh, natural gas from Russia. German chancellors vowed to search for alternative sources of energy to become less reliant on Russia, yet it remains to be seen if his coalition government, which is comprised partially of an alliance with the Green Party, the environmentalist, will reverse the government's decision to shut down its nuclear energy sector or indeed lift the prohibition on fracking in Germany. They're having the fracking problem with their government just like we are here. It works. It's the most cost-effective and clean energy source. When you put the cost and the cleanness of energy sources together, natural gas is the number one, the best in the world, and we have tons and tons and tons of natural gas in Louisiana. Joe Biden actually went to our southern border down there in southwest Louisiana to trumpet the opening of a liquid national natural gas plant down there that was sending, processing, and sending liquid national gas, natural gas to Europe in massive amounts. That's gone. We're not doing that anymore. And so what do our partners in Northern Europe have to do? They have to get it from somewhere else. Where are they going to get it? The insanity of everything we're seeing play out, it just continues to go on and on and on with no recourse in sight, like at the southern border. Listen to this. The U.S. population of legal immigrants and illegal migrants combined them hit 46.6 million in January. That's up roughly 1.6 million since Joe Biden was inaugurated. The 46.6 million immigrants legal and illegal in the country in January of this year is the largest number recorded in any government survey or decennial, in other words, with the 10-year census, going back all the way to 1850. As a share of the total population of 332 million people, immigrants, 14.2%. That's the highest number in 112 years. And if the present trends continue, 
the immigrant share is likely to surpass the all-time high reached in 1890, which was 14.8%, and 1910, 14.7%. The expectation is that's going to happen next year. It's certainly the case that our legal immigration system and the conscious decision to purposely not enforce immigration laws and to release hundreds of thousands of people into the United States is now being reflected in these January numbers. That's according to the Centers for Immigration Studies Research Director, Steve Camerata. In just the next few years, we're going to pass the all-time high. America's headed into unknown, uncharted territory. The data shows 70%, or about 1.1 million, of the new migrants are Latino. Since January, one year ago, it's possible that one and a half million Southern migrants came in alongside additional legal migrants and visa workers, but that that Southern inflow was partially offset by the exit of other migrants. Perhaps three or 400,000 went home, 100,000 got legal status, and 50,000 died, he said. But much of the population increase is caused by the administration's push to expand migration through legal loopholes that blur the much-touted distinctions between legal and illegal migrants. For example, Biden's deputies are admitting economic migrants via legally dubious doorways for asylum, parole, work permit, and family unification. The doorways are still, they're thrown open every day by Biden's pro-migration border chief, Alejandro Mayorkas, who's a Cuban refugee who was welcomed to California legally back in the 1960s. Mayorkas and his pro-migration progressive deputies insist America's only homeland is actually a nation of immigrants and a nation of welcome for economic migrants. Meanwhile, we have a president, we have a United States Congress, we have a Department of Justice, and all the leaders of all of the above each swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States. And with that comes their support for the rule of law, which says everything that is passed and signed into law by the only entity of the structure of this nation that is legally endowed with the right to make those laws and the presidents who are legally endowed to sign those bills into law, that's the only place laws can be changed or deleted and certainly ignored. Yet, all of these intruders that are coming into the southern border, every single one of them, not most, every single one of them is breaking a federal law when they come in. But what makes matters worse is all of these people who are sworn that got their jobs by raising one hand, putting another one on a Bible, and declaring, swearing an oath that they are going to support and uphold the the legally passed laws regarding immigration. Every one of them. Not a single person has the right to not enforce those laws. And the guy at the very top of the heap in the legal world in the United States, Attorney General 
Attorney General Merrick Garland has done not a single thing to enforce federal immigration laws. Congressman Mike Johnson yesterday when he was on the show when I asked him about this illegality that's being promoted by the White House and everybody in his administration, when and how are any of the perpetrators going to be called on the carpet to be held accountable for their doing this. And he told me, there's a huge consensus of Republicans that if in the House of Representatives, the midterm elections in November, if they win back control of the House and have a majority, they are, he said there's a laundry list, but uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, Department of Homeland Security Secretary, is the one that has opened up the gate at the southern border. And of course, his boss, Joe Biden, has made it okay and is waving all these illegals through, he said, we want to impeach him, remove him from office. And I said, what about President Biden? And he didn't come out and commit. But I can tell you that's on the minds of thousands of conservatives in Washington, D.C., and on the minds of millions of Americans around the nation. It's time, folks. It's time for those that we elect to protect us and keep us safe, to hold them accountable for not doing just that. And by the way, they're not doing that. How about the Freedom Convoy stuff? Well, you know the one got busted up over the weekend up in Ottawa, Canada. Canada's dictator, Justin Trudeau, he basically conned Parliament into giving him that emergency uh, declaration so he could do anything and everything he wanted in the face of the dire horrors that were happening against the nation of Canada and its citizens by these truckers and the worst circumstance anybody could point to. any There was no terror. There was no fighting. There was not a single case of violence other than those that were perpetrated by the Canadian police up there. The worst I saw was him standing in a crowd and singing the Canadian National Anthem together. And yes, they had trucks that were blocking traffic. I get that. But that's not violence. And he broke it up, and there were people that are thrown in jail. They were beating. I saw multiple videos of Canadian cops in full riot gear, and they have these billy clubs. They're beating some of these truckers on the ground, kneeing them over and over and again in the back. I saw a bunch of that. The only violence was perpetrated by Trudeau's orders by his cops. Well, it was pointed out yesterday that the Freedom Convoy protesters, driven from downtown Ottawa by this weekend's police action, they're regrouping. And by the way, they're now on private property around the city, and they're planning another convoy. Canadian TV said some of the regrouping was occurring on private property whose owners were allegedly not happy to see hundreds of supporters following the Freedom Convoy truckers back to their usual truck stops. Dozens of vehicles orbited the trucks at one stop. Tents had reportedly sprung up as well. Protesters told Tom Peckett, the mayor of McNabb Brayside, they were only lingering for a day or two to say farewells before they headed home. They come in for a day, they stay overnight, they socialize, they get up in the morning, and a bunch of that group leaves for the West, and then some more come in from the city of Ottawa, Pickett said, who added he had no problem with activity since 
the protesters obtained all necessary permits and were not obstructing traffic. Similar gatherings observed by Canadian TV and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in the vicinity of Ottawa, mostly using private property volunteered by owners. At one rally site in the Ottawa suburb of Greeley, protesters told CBC they felt discouraged but not defeated. If they're not even from here, I don't think they should be here. There's a reason downtown was cleared out. Go home, be done with it. That's according to one Greeley business owner. Meanwhile, Winnipeg. Winnipeg police on Tuesday told protesters parked near Manitoba legislature for the past three weeks they need to get out of the way, be clear within 48 hours, or their vehicles could be seized. Under the Emergencies Act, controversially invoked by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and of course that's gone, so they can't use that act to do or take any actions. In other words, folks, Canada and their people They are sick and tired of this top-down attitude that comes from an authoritarian supposedly being the leader of a free nation, Canada. That tyrant at the top is Justin Trudeau. And yesterday, he got so much flack for asking Parliament and getting Parliament to renew that Emergencies Act when there is no imminent threat of anything happening. He was pretty much forced to cancel it, which he did. But those convoy guys and women, those truckers, they're not done, folks. They're not done until Justin Trudeau and other leaders in governments across Canada take away these egregious mandates. And it's not just vaccine mandates. In fact, they tried to make it all those Canadian truckers that were protesting were anti-vaxxers. 80-plus percent of the truckers in Canada are fully vaccinated. It's not about the vaccine. It's about the top-down government mandates that take control of the lives from top to bottom of free Canadians. And oh, by the way, there's a convoy that left Los Angeles yesterday that will be en masse with hundreds of such trucks in a parade headed to Washington, D.C. And their timing is very critical. They've got to be there. Why? Because Joe Biden on Tuesday is giving the State of the Union message, and he's doing it from the Capitol. So you can bet Mayor Bowser of Washington, D.C., Nancy Pelosi, Capitol Police, National Guard, they are all on point and they will be ready to stop these truckers. It's going to be interesting to see if the truckers do anything. I think maybe American truckers are tougher than Canadian truckers. I don't, (laughs) I have no reason to say that other than I think people that drive trucks for a living are usually pretty tough folks. And Americans, I always think, are tougher than Canadians. They may not be but they don't play football up there. They play hockey, and they got all that padding. Just saying. And Jason that called in a little bit ago, he's a great hockey player and soccer player. If he's still listening, he'll probably call back. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens up there. 
Let's do a real quick scan to see what else is happening since we uh, since we started the show about what's going on in in Ukraine. Well, it's it's late into the evening there. It looks like maybe it has calmed down a little bit. Maybe the dust will clear. Folks, looking ahead for tomorrow, we only have Friday left of this week for TNN Live. Then we'll have a weekend. It's going to be tough to get real information coming out of Ukraine in real time. All the major networks here have people planted over there, but Ukraine is such a vast country. And don't think for a second that Vladimir Putin has been just willy-nilly pointing toward one place we're going to take entry in and go into that part of Ukraine. They're all over the place. And so it's going to be tough because they're tackling communications there. They want to shut down communications, the international kind, so that people within Ukraine don't have the ability to keep the world tuned in to the real stuff that's happening. They don't want anybody on the outside to know that it's a real invasion and that they are actually firing missiles, tanks are shooting at people, property is being destroyed, and people are getting hurt, and people are dying. So let me make a suggestion to you. TNN listeners are really good people. You are. And I'm proud to be affiliated with you. And I believe you're not just good people. I believe you're good people that care for everybody else around us. Say a prayer today. And every time you think of Ukraine, stop for a moment and say a prayer. Those people are in trouble. Join us back here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. You have a great day. Thank you for being part of the family here at Truth News Network and joining us at TNN Live. Talking to myself and feeling old Sometimes I'd like to quit Nothing ever seems to fit Hanging around Nothing to do but frown Rainy days and Mondays always get me down What I've got they used to call the blues Nothing is really wrong Feeling like I don't belong Walking around Some kind of lonely cloud Rainy days and Mondays always get me down Funny, but it seems I always wind up here with you Nice to know somebody loves me Funny, but it seems that it's the only thing to do Run and find the one who loves me What I feel is come and gone before No need to talk it out We know what it's all about Hanging around Nothing to do but frown Rainy days and Mondays are 
but it seems that it's the only thing to do. Run and find the one who loves me. What I feel is come and gone before. No need to talk it out. We know what it's all about. Hey. 